Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour. I'm Cheryl Benton, and my co-host today is Ronnie Jenkins, a founding partner of the Three Tomatoes. And listen up, tomatoes, it's not just women who struggle with middle age. And we are so excited to welcome Chris Semino and Rick Summers, who recently launched the Middle Age Warriors podcast. So welcome, Chris and Rick Warriors. Great for us. Yay. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love wait, it. Wait, middle age? I must have the wrong podcast. I got the wrong invite, apparently. What is this middle age talk? <laughs> oh, no. And we're here. Oh, well, we're happy. We're so happy you are here. And I think this is so this is so great to have you guys on. And it's nice to get a guy's perspective on our happy hour podcast. So a friend of mine once described middle age as the time of life when the universe starts shooting with real bullets. And <laughs> by the time <laughs> I know, and by the time we get into our 50s, Chances are our paths have had a lot of twists and turns along the way. So I'd like to hear a little bit about each of your backgrounds. So Rick, let's start with you, because I know you started out as a radio broadcaster. And along the way, you went back to school and became a social worker. That's a big path change. Yeah. So tell us about your path to middle life. It's, uh, it's, been, ch it's been choppy, no question about it, but we're still here. So there's a resiliency factor that is definitely uh, common amongst all of our squares on the Zoom call, uh, as we look like the Brady Bunch, as I like to say. Um, yeah, I grew up and didn't know what I want to do when I was an 18-year-old kid. Ended up going to a college that had a really good communications program. Started working in radio while I was in college and stayed with that because when I graduated, I was a, a disc jockey on the air and I got a job offer in 1982. That was a very rare thing because the economy back then was so bad. So I started on Long Island at WBLI Radio, which is how Chris and I ended up meeting. And I'll let him explain some of that. Uh, but I stayed in radio until the early 2000s. And after a diagnosis uh, of a chronic illness, I decided I needed to do something with more purpose, more bite in my life. So I went to grad school to become a social worker. And I went from one side of the circle where you do all the talking, yeah, 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 mm -hmm. to the other side of the circle, 180 degrees, where you shush and listen. And that was uh, a real paradigm. I mean, it was really a change for me because, as you can tell, I like to talk. <laughs> Well, I love that. And Chris, you were certainly our favorite weather guy, that was for sure, on NBC. And I know you wrote in your blog earlier this year that last July, you suddenly found yourself unemployed for the first time since you were 19 years old. And you've described middle age as being a bit like adolescence, 
as a grown adult, you suddenly find yourself lost and confused. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because it's happened to a lot of us, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the only good thing about feeling like an adolescent at this age, as opposed to when you actually categorically are one, is you do have some life experience. And there is, even along the way, I think accidentally we gather wisdom, whether we realize it or not, you know, it's like a rolling stone it is gathering moss, unfortunately, in our case, but, but it's good stuff. It's, it's the thing that gives us the, the strength to get through the awkward feelings that, again, you do have. And you know, I've talked about this before. Uh, I remember in the podcast that you were a guest in our podcast when I said reinventing yourself, and you weren't a big fan of that. And then I believe you, there was another term you used, career evolution. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I am at this point. But in getting here, for me, you know, everything was, a. I had a lifelong dream from when I was two, three, I say second or third grade. Uh, we had a big snowstorm in New York City. It was known as the Lindsay Snowstorm back in 1960. <laughs> uh, uh, and so for me, outside of playing for the Mets, I got to fulfill a dream, really a lifelong dream. But the reality is everything comes to an end. And I started to get a sense of what that experience was like as I was hit very hard in a three, four-year window of my life from about 49 to 53, 54. I lost my dad. My son was diagnosed with cancer and I lost my life to cancer. Uh-huh. And, you know, all of that, if, if you would have told me I was going to experience that before any of it happened, I would have said, there's no way I'm getting through that. I'm never going to survive that. I can't handle all that at one time. Uh, well, here I am. And feeling good, feeling strong, feeling hopeful. And that, I think, is the thing that is the difference between perhaps when you're an adolescent, where you start to feel because you don't have any life experience leading up to that of great consequence. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. And then you can go many directions. I don't care. Uh, You could be rebellious and you can still do that in your fifties and sixties. But I think the wisdom of life and the experiences from life uh, steer us in a better understanding of ourselves and where we need to go. That's what I hope anyway. That's really, that's really, uh, really well said, Chris. And, you know, I was thinking as you were saying this, there's so many ways where we um, identify ourselves. Like, you know, we're, I know when I left the advertising business, I had been so, I had so identified myself with what I did that when I was no longer doing that, I was struggling with who was I, you know, and then you're, you're somebody's, you're somebody's, you know, husband and then you're you know you're this so that's a lot of that's a lot of transition to go through in terms of figuring out you know who is this person when you're not all those other things if that makes sense so you you guys really are warriors (laughs) well you know what honestly i feel like we're all square pegs trying to fit into round holes and finding that that square to put it in one of the greatest things ever said to me uh by when I worked at the Screen Actors Guild, I ran into um, a senior citizen in the men's room. And I said, how are you this morning, sir? And he says, you know what? I, ro- I woke up on the right side of the dirt. <laughs> and I thought that was really <laughs> profound. And that has stayed with me since. And uh, that's the truth. That's the battle beyond the right side of the dirt. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely something to be said about having a positive outlook. And and I mean, Rick, you have a perfect story there. And 
Chris, I'm sure having some positivity in, in light of all those tremendous heartbreaking things that you had, you know, really probably helped move you forward and continue. But is, is that kind of what made you guys start this middle age warriors? How did, how did you guys get started with that? Well, Rick Chris, and I, I'll let you go. Yeah. I'm a Rick and I would, would get together and have lunch periodically and just started talking about life and, and the situations that we were in. And we noticed a lot of similarity and there's a, you know, this age, when you go from your forties to your fifties and then early sixties, it's, it's, there's a lot of transitions that start to happen, whether you are married and have children, now the kids are growing up and they're out of the house, whether you've been through divorce, whether you've lost your, your partner, uh, losing parents, losing your job, losing something that you thought was permanent and realizing that nothing is. And I think we started having these conversations and felt that sometimes when men were confronted with any of those issues I just brought up, uh, they might find themselves inside of a bottle. Uh, they may react and behave in ways that they're acting out against something in a very unproductive way because they're afraid to say what they're really feeling. They might be scared. You could be scared at 54 years old when somebody comes in and tells you, you, you know, you're fired and all of a sudden at, at that age, you don't know where you're going to go. It's all right to feel scared. And also it's important that you have somebody you can go to to talk about those feelings. And then, you know, Rick and I, we're bleeders. <laughs> we're not exactly, we're not exactly your typical guy. But I think in, in a lot of the friends that I have, ultimately behind whatever facade they have is a genuine feeling person. And I think we need to see more of that come out for everybody to see, for other men, and maybe even more importantly for women to see that that, that does exist within them. As I always have said, and I said this to Chris years ago, guys will cry when their team gets eliminated from the playoffs and the season is over. But when they deal with some kind of tragic news at home, they're kind of like, oh, I got it, I got it under control. And I think that that's part of the whole aura of what it's like to be a young man to a middle-aged man to an older man. I mean, I've seen it in my life. I know what my dad does you know, how he dealt with things, which was not dealing with things. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do between us is have that open discussion and discuss what we call failures or what feel like failures that we otherwise probably would have not acknowledged in an earlier time in our life. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, women are pack rats, you know, even if you go to a restaurant and you're with some other girlfriends, a woman will say, oh, I'll join you in the ladies room, you know, like, I don't really do that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it's funny to hear you guys just talk about, oh, you're meeting at lunch and you're, you're sharing these experiences. I mean, do you guys talk about the same things we do? Like, oh, I feel so fat today or ugly or my hair is getting grayer and I found a chin hair pop out. <laughs> you guys don't have the same kind of stuff we are. Well, uh, probably not <laughs> as much in terms of the, um, the, the physical appearance thing, although we do, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I do. Look, you know, I was on television for many years. That alone kind of incorporates a degree of vanity. I'm not going to lie. So, uh, Rick and I may have conversations about that three-inch hair growing out of my nose. That I don't know where that came from. And as men get older, you know, hair grows out of places you don't want it and leaves yeah. the places you do want it. So there, yeah. there are things, but there are things that that you know there are issues as as men as we age and and live on that 
are uncomfortable for us to talk about. I think women are much more comfortable about talking about their uh, insecurities about themselves or the situations they're in. Men are a little more reluctant. I think, and that's what Rick and I are really trying to open up that door in a comfortable and a safe haven for men, if you will. I think that is, that's such a great thing you're doing because guys don't talk. Most of the guys I know don't talk about their feelings to other guys, you know, and I've got to kind of wrap my husband out a little now. My, my (laughs) husband has two brothers, there's three of them, and they're really close. I mean, they talk to each other, especially, you know, now going through this, they're on the phone at least once a day. Really? But the things they talk about are, you know, how we're missing sports and this <laughs> and that. And I'll know behind the scenes that there's things going on in their families that are some kind of sometimes big, serious things. And I'll say, well, you know, did you ask your brother about such and such? Oh, no, he didn't mention that. <laughs> what do you guys talk about that? It's just a mystery to me. So I think it's great that you you can have, you know encourage guys and it's okay and you need I think you know women we need our friends to talk to so I can't imagine you know not having a group of girlfriends that you could share this stuff with right well Ron? I just remember when I was growing up my best friends were always women um, and I think in part it's because I was the kind of person that felt the need or the want to disclose and to share but even then I kind of parceled it and was very selective about what I shared. Um, And now that I've gotten older and I realize that we've all got secrets, we all have crap. Uh, My father used to say, life is a crap sandwich and every day you take a bite. And I thought that was the most cynical thing I ever heard in my life (laughs) because that's certainly not the way I feel. But I understand it as you get older and you deal as Chris did with the death of his wife, Nancy or his son being diagnosed with cancer, or my mom being diagnosed with cancer, or my, my wife being diagnosed with cancer. I mean, you understand, as Valerie, who works with Cheryl and Ronnie knows, says nobody gets out of here for free. Everybody's going to have to pay the freight at some point or another. And that's kind of where Chris and I seem to have found a really good common ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think I think in terms of women innately, there seems to be uh, there's a comfort in number and sharing uh, their feelings and their emotions. With men, there's an innate protectiveness because emotions equal weakness. Right. And you know, men pretty much from you know K band days, if you will, uh, they're defined by their ability to protect, provide, and their virility. And what starts to happen when you hit your 40s, your 50s plus, well, you may start to not be as physically strong as you were. Uh, Your virility may go down and you may lose your job and therefore your ability to support. So that's why I think the term midlife crisis comes from in the sense that the three things that define men can all be taken away or weakened strongly at at one moment in life. Women tend to be by nature, uh, uh, pro, you know, uh, comforters, nurturers, uh, they take care of the nest, if you will. It was kind of the, you know, and again, I'm saying this in the sense of, uh, I'm talking to two right. women here, but, yeah, but no. I'm saying innately that's what, yeah. what uh, and that's why I don't think as much, and maybe you can fly in the face of this the other way, that I don't think women have the so-called midlife crisis because 
they are always capable of being nurturers to the, almost the day they're, they leave the planet. They can, they can be the qualities that define womanhood their entire life without a career attached to it, without virility attached to it. I mean, I know there are things that happen along those lines, but I think men make the mistake of defining themselves in this three checklist. And when they start to lose them, that's when they freak out. And that's when they do, they have affairs or they do stupid things. I think that's part of what's behind that behavior. So what do you say to some of those? And I'll, I'll pull out the stereotypical stuff, right? So the guy, all of a sudden, you know, maybe he and his wife get divorced or something. And now he's dating a 25 year old, somebody, you know, way beyond his junior, the guy who, you know, goes about and buys the fancy sports car and, you know, is doing all these things. Like, what do you, what do you say? Cause I know women as nurturers, we, we say to each other, Oh, let's go meditate. Let's do yoga. We'll go on a long walk, go to a spa retreat, whatever it is. Like, what do you say to that guy who's going through that? And you know, how do you comfort a guy that's, you know, challenged with those things? I try not to judge anybody right off the bat. I think part of that is my social work background where, you know, you try and take in as much information before you make an assessment. And luckily, I've gotten a lot better at that as I've gotten older. Talk about youth wasted on the young. Um, I think that I understand it. It makes me sad. Some, sometimes I see somebody who is not acting what we deem age appropriate. And I think... Eh, it's going to catch up. It's going to roost at some point or another. Um, would I like a Mazda Miata with a convertible and uh, my hair blowing in the wind and driving down the Pacific Coast Highway? Absolutely. Um, but to be honest with you, um, I think I've been through my middle and have tried to get it out of my system, so to speak. And I have explored other relationships at the time I was married. Um, because it seemingly felt right to me at the time. And I justified it by saying, hey, we're only here for a little while, and I'm, I'm just trying to feel as best as I can possibly feel and try not to make too many enemies and do too much damage along the way. So um, I guess all I can say is just trying not to be so judgmental, but I totally get it, and I see guys and I shake my heads, and I watch stuff on TV all the time and think, ooh, but it's not me. Well, Ronnie just touched on the, you know, the 50-something guys dating 25-year-olds. We do a lot of stuff on dating at the Three Tomatoes. In fact, Ronnie's um, did a dating panel for us not long ago. And we also did a dating podcast where we actually had three, three, three gals and a guy. And the guy got to weigh in on, on how he feels about all of that. But you're seeing this stuff, Ronnie, all the time. I mean, you're out yeah. there with the, you know, guys your age who want to date, you know, 22-year-olds. So, yeah. And it's, and it's funny. And you guys, I mean, Chris, you said you, you're bleeders. And I, I mean, I would just say, is that kind of the same thing as wearing your heart on your sleeve, right? So right. Yeah. I, I find it very funny to hear you guys talk about, um, you know, being mature and, and comfortable in your own skin and, and knowing the wisdom. And yet I know so many women my age, you know, age 40, 50 plus, and they're dating and they're still getting ghosted by these guys. They'll go out with them and they'll think things are going fine. And after four dates, they just don't hear from them. Why is it that this is more 
seemingly a guy thing where they can't be have honest communication maybe or say at this point in their life like hey it just didn't work out or i didn't have chemistry or whatever it is are you guys you know well, hearing that from your guy friends to some degree i mean just because you're a guy's in his 40s and 50s doesn't mean he's not a jerk yeah. uh <laughs> not the matter is there are there are guys that are that are jerks and, and there's women that do it too don't get yeah, me wrong and there are women that do it too but i think what and, and I had done it. I had done an interview a while back. We Rick and I did a podcast with a doctor who who deals with particularly men's behavior in midlife. And sometimes we have to separate the behavior from the person and then focus on well, why are they behaving? What tends to happen is we we treat and respond and react to the behavior. Like look at that idiot. He's sixty years old and he's dating a thirty year old because he can't. Number one, and this goes back to that midlife crisis feeling of virility. Well, what's going to make him feel more virile than he's walking around with this 30 year old? Is that realistically where he belongs? Is that really a relationship? Probably not. I'm not saying you can't have those types of things. They do sometimes work, but nine times out of 10, it's done to, to comfort his weakness. He's comforting his fear that he's getting old. I'm going to get that fast car now. I'm going to get that, that young girl now. It's because he's got a problem that he's not really dealing with. That's not fixing the problem. But we're so afraid to go to the source, you know, of <laughs> the problem. And again, which points to hopefully with the type of guests we had on, on the show could lead men to sort of, you, you've really got to turn it in, inward. You've got to do a lot of introspection to figure out why you behave that way. And when men are so reluctant compared to women, uh, this is going to be a long process, ladies. Let's put it that again. I, make no problems in, I don't think men's behavior is going to flip on a dime here, but I'm hoping uh, with time we're learning and, and it will get better. Can I interject for just one sec? Because I want to say one of the uh, gems that was once said to me when I finally went into therapy in my late 20s after getting into a marriage, it was like, why did I do that? But I did. And I got into therapy uh, because I was really starting to feel the rivets pop around the seams and I needed to do something. And so I'm 27 years old in therapy. And my therapist says to me, Hey Rick, it took you 27 years to get like this. We're not going to fix this in, in six weeks, which was part of my, I need satisfaction. I need answers. I need the problem to be erased and fixed now. And, Getting older and understanding the process, kind of what, Chris, you were just alluding to and going through that and taking the time to let the, the cut bleed and heal, um, that's, that's a lesson you can't really teach. You've got to live that and you've got to go through it and then you have to find your own legs to stand on. But it didn't take me 27, it did take me 27 years to get this way and not going to be fixed in six weeks. <laughs> no, men, men prefer, I think, to, to bury the issues and move on because it's too much heavy lifting to really work through it sometimes. And by burying it, we move on to the next thing, to the next thing. Unfortunately, often women are in, in the line of that type of behavior and it doesn't have a good outcome. I mean, in terms of from the, from the female perspective, what is the stereotypical view of men 
I throw this out to both of you ladies, you know, here in, in 2020, men in their 50s, let's say. Uh, what are you finding behaviorally, socially, interacting with them? What, what are you finding different, the same? What do you like or not like about that? Ronnie, you answer that. You're, you're out there with those guys. Yeah, no, I, I think um, for sure there are still a lot of men that are, and I'll call them man babies. You know, like, well, I, I'm not your therapist. I'm not your mother. If, you know, if, even if you're married, um, it's a cohabitation and you guys are a team together. You know, I know women oftentimes, especially a wife, may get... Um, stereotyped as you know the nagging wife or the honey to-do list and things like that and and my point is why why does a woman have to be put in that spot like if a guy is living there also and they're sharing equally you know those things should just get done but um yeah i've i've had quite a few friends again just just be in a relationship and they think things are fine and they just, for no rhyme or reason, uh, a guy just ups and leaves on them, and then they never hear from them, um, which is, you know, quite odd. And then, and then you have the others that are, you know, a 60-year-old guy who just thinks, oh, no, I don't want to be in a relationship at all. I, I'm just going to keep acting like I was a guy when I was 25. And it's, you know, to me, that's not something that most women uh, this age are, are doing, at least that I, that I know. I mean, you know, most of them are honest in their communication and if a relationship isn't working, they'll just say, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, you know, Hey, it's not really working. We're not together, you know, uh, whatever. I know it sounds corny, but it really is about feeling comfortable within your own skin and communication as I'm sure you and all your tomatoes, there are many more than three of you, know. And uh, the analogy I used to say, Chris, I remember telling this to you over lunch up at Lincoln Center years ago, was our marriage is like a boat going through the water. And the secrets that you refuse to share with your partner, your spouse, are like barnacles that attach themselves to the hull of a ship. And you get to a point where you start to have so many secrets and so many barnacles that it starts to pull the ship underneath the waterline. Then you start taking in water and you can't bail fast enough. And I've always thought, and I, I think because I live that, and that's essentially um, what I went through not once but twice in marriage, um, was that inability to feel comfortable enough to stand up for myself and identify the issues that were plaguing me at the time because I was afraid of appearing weak and being weak. And so the water level finally got too high and brought the boat underwater, sunk the marriage. And I, and I think that speaks to the, you know, you had made a comment about uh, – and out of the blue, he leaves and gets divorced. It really wasn't out of the blue. It was in the woman's eyes because nothing was being communicated to her about, obviously, how he was feeling. Because to pick up and leave a relationship, especially one that's been going on for many years, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You just don't leave because... But I know it often appears that way because men just don't communicate in that process 
and then they reach that snapping point and then the whole world changes for the person on the other end. While in his head, he was already going through this process a little bit at a time. I mean, I watched it happen on my wife's family. I got a phone call in the middle of the night. My brother-in-law moved out, packed his bags and left two kids. And I was, I didn't see that coming. Something was going on in here. I mean, later on you find out over the years, you know, but men do not communicate very well. That's the number one thing in any relationship, I think, that has to take care of itself in the beginning. Otherwise, you're going to pile up those barnacles. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. Exactly. I'm going to be, Stu and I are going to be married actually 40 years in June, this coming June. I can't believe it. So I had to say 40 blissful years. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, they were not. They were not all blissful, right? (laughs) But certainly one of the things, I mean, there's been a lot of rocky, rocky parts along, along the road there. But most of it, Rick, to your point, was when we weren't really being honest about how we were feeling about things and just, you know, burying things under the rug, which is very, very easy to do, you know, going along your merry way and then things build up and then they explode. You know, what kept us together, and there were many times, at least twice, when we were seriously thinking about making a break, was that under all of that, we're actually best friends. And I know that people always say that, but he really is my best friend. And I'm like, I'm going to be losing. I may be angry with him now and I may not be talking to him, but I'm going to be losing this person I've been friends with for all of these years. And when you can bring that up back up again, and then when you can finally sit and learn to talk. So I think over the years, if we've learned anything is that we, um, we are much better about talking to each other when one of us is, is not particularly happy with the other one. <laughs> and at least bring it out in the open and just not letting it gloss over. So I think it's about accepting the fact that there are valleys. And I think sometimes people think it's going to be smooth sailing an entire relationship and a, a long, healthy marriage will have arguments, fights, ugly discussions, valleys, flat times knowing that you're going to get through them if you stay the course with each other, uh, even in that feeling of whether it might be hostility, it might be distance, uh, but understand the bigger picture. Yeah. But that's not always easy. No, and I think a lot of people really do give up when maybe if they had worked. That's why you see so many people when they do get to midlife in their 50s, that's a huge time for divorce, huge Mm -hmm. time, you know, that, Kids are getting older and that you hit that point. And I think women definitely have midlife crises too. And you get to that point and you're looking for something different and more interesting and more exciting. And then this thing isn't working and you're like, well, all right, I'm, you know, I'm just moving on because there's going to be such better things going on. And that's, you know, for me coming up and that's not always the case. So, you know, obviously some some marriages should end and and it's much better if they do. But I think I'll, I do think there are times when people just don't want to really put in the work to kind of dig a little deeper. I think of the TV show 60 Minutes with the clock ticking in the background. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that is basically the sound that a lot of us hear, and especially being in our 40s, now 50s, and approaching 60, um, you hear the clock ticking and the meter is running and you're like, I'm not going to be here forever. When you're 25, you think you are going to be here forever. And that's why I joke around and 
say, you know, youth is wasted on the young, that naivete and that innocence and, and that sweetness is just not around after you've been chewed up and spit out a couple of times. And conversely, chewed up and spit out somebody else a couple of times or somebody, you know, other changes that you've made in your life that have been unpopular and certainly uncomfortable. So that's, I mean, that kind of brings us to that, you know, the more positive of, well, the what's next then? So rather than saying the, you know, proverbial bucket list, um, what is it that you guys have on the what's next list to make yourselves this bigger, better person in, in midlife as your midlife warrior self? Hmm. Well, I mean, I would say for me in, in the whole transition from loss and then more loss and then more loss, uh, what happened by turning a little, becoming a little more introspective, I realized how much I wanted to see the world and travel, which I was in a relationship with somebody, you know, for, I knew my wife since first grade. I mean, that's how long we dated from eighth grade. Wow. Oh my gosh. It was, it, was a, it was a long relationship and we grew up together. You know, I always used to joke, yeah, we taught each other how to ride bikes. Um, <laughs> it seemed like that, but she was not a big traveler. She was kind of like a rain man traveler. She'd go to two places over and over and over and over again, but I wanted to see the world. And when all of this finally went down and I started seeing the world and, and it travel really healed me because I got to see other cultures and, and parts of the world and how people operate. And, and it just made the world a smaller place to me and made me understand myself a little bit better. And I realized just, uh, preconceived notions I had in my head, prejudices I had in my head were getting washed away by traveling and seeing these other uh, cultures and, and trying their food and, and seeing how they lived every day. So that was a big thing for me in midlife to experience. And I want to continue to do that because I would be honest, if I went and spoke to young people today, and if I said, there's one thing you should try to figure out how to do before you settle in on life, travel, yeah. see the world because you learn so much more, not only about the world, but about yourself. Yeah. I think you, you're starting, if you then you get into a relationship, you get married, you have children, you're starting from a better perspective and a better place. And, and that would be my recommendation along those lines. And right now for me, I don't know, I'm having fun doing what I'm doing. I need some money, uh, but I'm having fun doing what I'm doing. But it's a matter of trying to create some uh, monetization of it, but I am having a blast. I'm doing these cooking segments now with my girlfriend and, and the podcast and I'm blogging. I'm on your podcast right now, guys. And, uh, so it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I feel a lot better about what I'm doing than where I came from, uh, which I loved. I have no regrets about my career, but, uh, it, it got to a point and Rick can echo this too, where you start to feel like this isn't doing what it used to do for me. Yeah. Just like a marriage. Just like a marriage, really. Uh, you know, you could be married 30 years and people change and you grow apart. And maybe you shouldn't be forced to stay together because, well, what else are we going to do? Well, you've got some life to live. And if you can do it, somebody always gets hurt in any split of long-term relationships. And it could be a business relationship. Uh, but that's part of the process, unfortunately. Yeah, I love your advice about traveling, though. And I'm a big advocate of that. I, from the From the time I was young and... When I was 21, I took a summer and went backpacking through Europe. And that's oh, kind of cool. And it's a very humbling experience, a very humbling experience. So to take that now, that experience as an adult and 
you know, go to those off the beat places and, and travel and put yourself in their shoes. Um, you know, not just to the, the big, huge major cities, but, you know, experience what they have as a local. It, it's really, it releases those prejudices as well and, and preconceived notions that you have. So. And Rick, I know that before the pandemic, you were on this worldwide quest, right? What's, what's happened with that? Tell us I about was. it. Well, thank you uh, for bringing that up. It's actually been put on hold and I actually had to put my website on hold. Um, as I was alluding to before, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back 26 years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, and a few years ago, I was on a plane coming back from a neurologic meeting uh, in Florida that I was speaking at, and I read something about World MS Day, and it was basically trying to just get the word out um, around the globe that people around this planet suffer with multiple sclerosis. So I thought, wow, wouldn't it be neat to go on World MS Day to fly around the world and go New York, LA, Honolulu, Tokyo, uh, Mumbai and all the way around the globe making stops along the way and actually Chris uh, with his love of travel and being the great friend and supporter he is and having the ability to heavy lift and carry my bags <laughs> was going to come with me um, we uh, raised some money and it's been great um, but then the pandemic basically forced everything to kind of shut down um, I'm not sure I want to get on an airplane anytime soon anywhere, um, but I fully plan on doing a smaller scale. Instead of Rick around the globe for MS, I think we're going to do Rick ac across America for MS. And we're going to, I think Chris and I were talking about this, we're going to fly so that if you look at the map, it will be an M and an S. It'll go south, north, down, up, down. And then a big S, so we'll have a big MS across America. But that's probably going to be a couple of years away. And thank you for asking me about that because it's something I've been thinking about and working on for a number of years. And I just, I really firm, uh, feel strongly, I should say, about wanting to put a human face on this disease, which is mired in statistics and fear. And that, if I can do anything on part two of my life, that's kind of what I want to do. Well, Rick, I just want to bring it up. So World MS Day this year is actually Saturday, May 30th. So coming up and we still have time. And as you know, you know, I also have multiple sclerosis. So I think I really appreciate what you're doing. And I think it's important for those of us who have it to sort of break through that stigma and, you know, draw and generate awareness of the disease and, and, you know, hopefully at one point we'll have a cure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's here's, a, here's an idea. I think we should do something on May 30th. We should think of some some Zoom event or something we could do to raise awareness. That sounds think good about to it, me. guys. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I mean, my trip was supposed to start this week wow. because I was supposed to be, and Chris was going to come with me. We were supposed to be flying around the globe. And the idea was going to be, not so much to go places and see places, though that sounds great, but the idea was to fly from here to here to here 
to their making connections around the world because Ronnie, as you know, from dealing with multiple sclerosis, the big deal is that your body attacks your body and breaks the connections, which slow down the effect of anything and everything you do physically, mentally, whatever it may be. So I thought the idea of making connections around the globe was going to be a really good inspiration and role model for, for people with MS and other chronic illnesses to say you can do. Yeah. And hopefully we will. That's well, awesome. It is. I'm coming up for that trip too, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love, I, I love you guys. You're so special. Seriously, I love what you're doing. I love you're making connections everywhere. I love that you're willing to talk about your feelings and encourage other guys to do that. And that's so needed. And you really are amazing, amazing people, both of you. And you are warriors. And the tomatoes love you. So thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us today. And so tell us how people find your show and anything else about you. I'm deferring to you. Okay. We are on the uh, Believe, B-L-E-A-V podcast network and you can find us there by just uh, searching for middle-aged warriors and we're on itunes any of the podcasts uh, spotify things uh, where you normally would listen to your podcast it's the middle Age warriors and uh, i've got a website also chrissaminoweather.com you can find us on our facebook pages uh, leave any kind of message or note there but uh, believe uh, podcast is where you would find the weekly by uh, podcast that we do